0: All right, Um, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 16 this morning. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, you can go ahead and flip over there. If not, or if you prefer, the Scriptures are going to be up here on the screen. Uh, The year is 1989. How many of you were even alive in 1989? There we go, 1989. Uh, The summer of 1989 and... um, it was the summer before my last year in Bible college. And I was working at a motel, hotel, little thing there in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. It was a wonderful job for a college student because very rarely did people come in there during the week. I just throw all my books up there. I just study, just read, do everything I needed to do. Um, but this one night, just before the end of my shift, I got off at 11 o'clock, just before the end of my shift... The door swings open, and in walks this mom and her teenage daughter. The daughter's, you know, probably 17 or 18 years old. And they come in, and they say, are you Chris? I said, yes, I am. How can I help you? And the girl puts her hands on her tummy, and she says, I'm pregnant. And I said, well, congratulations. (laughs) And she said, it's yours. All the blood just drains out of my face. I mean, these are the type of accusations that get you kicked out of Bible school, right? I had found the love of my life, and I'm in, in that moment, I'm already thinking, I'm going to have to get on the phone and tell Lisa, somebody is accusing me of being the father of their baby. And I said, I am not the father of that child. And she said, yes, I got pregnant when we were together a couple of months ago. I said, I'm a forgetful person, but I don't think I'd forget that. (laughs) That is not my child. I am not the father. And then the weirdest thing happened. The mom, of all people, she stops and she looks at me and she goes, I don't think you're the right one. (laughs) Now I'm angry. (laughs) And I said, I know I'm not the right one. I don't know you, and you don't know me. You don't know anything about me. I have never even met you, and you do not know me. And they're still just staring at me. They go, well, is there another Chris that works here? No, go away. Leave, please. Please. And they went next door to, to the hotel that was next door. We owned that one too. And the, the, uh, the guy that was running the desk over there called over and said, Hey, there's some people over here who want to see you. I said, No, they don't. Do not send them back over here. But isn't that like the world? They don't really know God, yet they want to accuse him of things. They don't really know him, but suddenly if things go wrong, it's got to be his fault, right? The truth is, they don't know him. We're in a lesson series called uh, Questions That Jesus Asked. And this morning, the question is, do you know me? Do you know me? In Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13, It says, now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? He asked two questions this time. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, let me give you just a little bit of background on Caesarea Philippi, okay? Uh, This area, it said the district of Caesarea Philippi. This district, even before the, the city was called Caesarea Philippi, was a notorious district. Back in the days of the kings of Israel, when the the, the children of Israel started worshiping some false gods, this area was the center of Baal worship. And if you're not familiar with Baal worship, it was basically child sacrifice. They would take a baby and basically put it in a fire and let it burn to death. That was how they worshiped their god. So this is the same area where the city is now. And they're still worshiping false gods. It was a city made up of mostly non-Jews, but it was only 25 miles from Galilee, where Jesus and his disciples did the majority of their ministry. And here's this place. And this place was a center now of, of worship of Greek and Roman gods and also a place where they worshiped Caesar. There was a, a, a river that flowed out of a, a cave there and it was believed to be the gateway to the underworld or the gate of Hades Or the gates of hell. And Jesus chose this place to take his disciples. Of all the places where he's going to say, hey, let's have a conversation. Let's talk about who I am. Why did he choose one of the most ungodly, debaucherous places around? Now, you could probably ask 10 preachers their, their opinion on this. You get 10 Ten answers, but since I've got the microphone, you get my answer, right? Uh, I believe, first of all, this one's kind of a duh. I I believe he just wanted them to see the difference between the worship of true God and the the worship of false gods. But what I really believe he wanted them to see and understand, because he knew the answer that was going to come out of them, was that he was Messiah, even in a place like that. There was no place that they could go that Jesus wasn't going to be Messiah. Even in a place as evil as Caesarea Philippi, he was Messiah. William Booth, who uh, started the Salvation Army back in the the mid-1800s, there's a story that says that he was walking with his, his son, took him on a walk down in one of the the seedier areas of London one evening. And as they were walking, they were coming close to a a notorious saloon, a notorious bar. And when they got right up on it, Booth grabbed his son and took him inside of, of the bar And as the boys, you know, eyes had to adjust to the dim lighting and and seeing things through, you know, the haze of of tobacco smoke and all of that, he could see this throng of people just absolutely drunk and wasted. Men and women, some fighting, some pawing all over each other. Some were so, so drunk and wasted they just passed out on the floor doesn't sound like a place you normally take a 12 year old and uh, get to keep them right they take they take they take your children away from you for things like that but booth grabbed hold of the shoulders of his son and he said do you see them these are our people these are our people and i want you to spend your life making sure that they know about jesus You know what? There are people too. Yeah. The broken, the hurt, the spiritually wounded. I won't ask people to raise hands that have ever had a, a bad uh, experience in a church or from Christians, but East Texas is littered with them. Those are our people, the unconnected, the disconnected. Amen. Right? And Jesus is Lord even there. And our job is to spend our lives making sure that they're able to take their next step in Christ, whether it's their first or their 101st. There was a, a song that, that was on Christian radio when I first got saved. And... Um, the words of the song would so impact me that there were times when I'd have to pull my car off to the side of the road because I'd just start weeping every time I heard it. And the song comes from a poem written by a missionary named C.T. Studd. And the lyrics go like this. Some people want to live within the sound of chapel bells but I want to run a mission a yard from the gate of hell. And with everyone you meet, take them the gospel and share it well. Look around you as you hesitate. Another soul just fell. Let's run to the battle. Let's run to the battle. There is a battle going on for people. And are we the people that pull back? Remember, we were at Pentecost last week, we were talking about they were all in one accord. And that Greek word, it's a compound word for one accord, means to rush along together. Let's run to the battle. Run to the battle. Run with the gospel. Run to these people that we've been called to. Amen. And as St. Francis of Assisi said so well, Share the gospel all the time and use words if necessary. So let's look at these two que- That was just my introduction, okay? <laughs> let's look at these two questions that, that Jesus asked. The first question is Who do they say Jesus is? Who do they say Jesus is? In verse 14, there in Matthew 16. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. People were saying good things about Jesus. None of that is bad stuff that they were saying, correct? They were saying good things about him, but what they were not recognizing is that he's God. And people say nice things about Jesus today. They'll say things like, oh, well, he was, a, he, he was a wise man. He was a good man. You know, he's in the same classes as like Gandhi. But a wise man and a good man on a cross is just a dead man. Right? His death meant absolutely nothing if he was just a wise man and a good man. It took the death Of the sinless Son of God to pay the price for us to have the freedom to sit in this place today. And they may say, well, you know, following Jesus, that's okay. That's one of the ways to get to heaven. But that same wise man and good man said of himself, I am the way, the truth. And the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through him. And as C.S. Lewis so eloquently put it, Jesus is either liar, lunatic, or Lord. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. He's either a liar because he's claiming to be God, He's a lunatic because he thinks he is God or he's actually God. But you know what? It doesn't really matter what they say. The most important question is, who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? In verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Everybody's got to answer that question. Everybody will answer that question. In fact, we answer that question every day. Every day, we preach the gospel. Every day, we preach what we really believe about Jesus. Every day. Through our words, through our conversations, through our actions, through our attitudes. Everything we do says what we truly believe about Jesus. You hear me? It will affect us. You don't get to just say, oh, yes, I believe, and then live the way that you want to. I was a, probably a senior in high school. I may have been a junior, but I've convinced myself I was a senior when this happened. The church that I went to was a Baptist church at the time. And I went there because all of my friends went there. And I went there because we played sports. I didn't care anything about God. I didn't care anything about church. I cared that after every Sunday night service, we played volleyball and then we played softball, and then we played flag football. We were always playing something. That was the only reason that I was there. But in this, in this church, we had a pack the pews Sunday. Anybody ever been involved in a pack the pews Sunday? That's when we're going to ask everybody we know to come to church with us one time so we can get so many people in there and, and break some kind of record for how many people have ever been in that church. Didn't matter. They probably wouldn't come back the next week. It was just about that one service. And the youth pastor, who I absolutely loved even then, it's a wonderful man. Hey, let me just tell you, get your kids in youth. Get your kids in youth. Because it will affect them even if they're not paying attention. <laughs> there are seeds that are being sown. So the youth pastor, he he challenged us. And I'm a competitive person, but back then I was hyper competitive. <laughs> a challenge, I'm going to win. No matter what we do, I did not play unless I could win. If there was no chance of me winning, I wasn't even going to try. I must win. So there was this challenge. You know, they'd give away something. I don't remember what it was. for The the person that got the most people to come. And so Pack the Pew Sunday came. We'd all invited people, and we had a bunch of folks. And then uh, afterwards, the next week, Tuesday night visitation. Anybody else ever heard of Tuesday night visitation? Have you people ever been Baptist? Huh? Man, I I say all the time, if you've not been Baptist at least once, you're probably not saved because they will get you saved. Tuesday night visitation comes along and the youth pastor somehow convinces me I need to go with him to visit all these teenagers that had come and visited our church that last Sunday and he talked me in to going and visiting this girl and that's probably the reason that I agreed to go because it was a girl. Well we went to her house and uh, you know we went in and we sat down we were talking to her and and this is exactly what she said. She said, "Yeah, she was not somebody I had invited. She said, "Yeah, I looked across the church and I saw you there and I was surprised. I didn't know you went to church." I didn't know you were a Christian. Now, the fact is, I wasn't. I was just a a nominal church goer, but that offended me. How dare you? I was born in America. Of course, I'm a Christian. My grandfather and father were both preachers. Of course, you know, I, I get a free pass, right? But what she was really saying is, I've seen you in other places besides that church. Wish she had. And I was telling people what I really thought about Jesus at those other times. Now fast forward about 25 years and this young lady comes into our youth group and she was messed up. She had been physically, mentally, verbally, and sexually abused most of her life. Her, 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 even being on earth was was rejection to her because she had been uh, conceived from an affair and her mother just put her up for adoption. So she, all her life felt like even my birth mother does not want me. I am rejected. And then she went into a home that, that had had foster kids, and one of her foster brothers had repeatedly sexually abused her. She was a mess. She didn't know who she was. She had all kinds of identity issues. And about once a week she would show up and, and tell me why God couldn't love her. And I would spend time telling her why God did love her. And then one day, she looked at me and she said, "I've been in church all my life, because her, her family did go to church. I've been in church all my life, and I've never met anybody like you." What changed? From I'm surprised that you're, you're, you even go to church to I've never met anybody like you. I answered the question. Who do I say that Jesus is? Who do I say that Jesus is? And I answered it the same way that Simon Peter did. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Two parts there. He said, you're the Christ. You're the anointed one. You're the deliverer. You're the Messiah. Christ is just a Greek word that that basically means Messiah. You're the one that's come to deliver us. And most of Israel was looking for a deliverer, but they were looking for a man. They were looking for a human to, to come in and be king over them again. They weren't looking for God. But Peter said, not only are you Christ, not only are you the deliverer, not only are you Messiah, but you are the son of the living God. We like Messiah. (laughs) You know, the Bible tells us that that Jesus is is both lamb and lion, right? Right? We like the lamb. The lamb was slain for us. Everything that the lamb did was for me. But then the lion comes. The lamb is is Messiah. The lion is king. The lamb has been sent to serve me. The lion says, you better serve. And I know a lot of people, and and, and I've seen this so much, people walk away from their faith. How could that be? And I believe it's because we only know him as Messiah when we've got to know him as king. Because when we begin to know him as king, it doesn't matter what I feel like. The king didn't ask my opinion. And I want you to think I want you to think about this. You know, a King he has kids, right? And there are times when the king is just dad. And we have a wonderful heavenly father. There's times where the king is just dad. You can sit on his lap, you can love him, you can snuggle up next to him, but there's times when he puts on his crown and he puts on his robe and he picks up his scepter and he comes in as king. He's no longer just dad, he's king, and you bow before the king. When the king says this, you don't say no. When the king commands, we do it. And I love Messiah, don't get me wrong. I love Jesus as the lamb. We need him as the lamb. He comes and and he he just holds us and he loves us and he heals us, but he he doesn't do it just so you can say, okay, that's good for me. And we get all selfish even about our relationship with the Lord. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. Salvation was about you. But if it was all just about you, he would have taken you to heaven immediately. He left you here because it's all about those people out there. It's all about everybody else. So what do we do with this what is the application to this it's making a firm commitment and it's stepping into a deeper place in the throne room today it was all about stepping up going into a deeper place but even sometimes we make that selfish we make it about me about me I want to know you more God I want to know you more God I want to know you more God well why do you want to know more about him if we're not willing to advance the kingdom for him there comes a time when it's got to be about him There will always be more of Jesus to know something that that I've learned. The more that I know him, the more I realize I don't know anything about him. (laughs) And that just creates an even deeper hunger to know him more. But the more I know him, the more I realize there's more and more and more and more to know. But do I just want to know him so I can say, hey, look how theologically awesome I am. Or am I going to know him as king? Who said, go out to the highways and the byways and compel them to come in? Am I gonna obey the king and I'm gonna allow my life to project and and preach the gospel everywhere? And use words if necessary. For those of you that go go to lunch right after this, if they see you bowing your head and praying over your meal, You better tip well. I'm not kidding. You're representing the kingdom. You're representing the kingdom. Step into that place of knowing him as king. Step into that place. All right. I'm getting ready to wrap it up here. In 1970, Dr. Shadrach Meshach Lockridge... Do you think his mama knew what uh, she was doing? (laughs) You don't get a name like Shadrach Meshach and not wind up being a preacher. (laughs) Dr. Shadrach Meshach Lockridge preached one of the most famous messages of the last century. He was a pastor in San Diego, California. Born in East Texas, how about that? Born down around uh, College Station. If all I knew about Texas was Aggies, I'd leave too. <laughs> but S.M. Lockeridge preached a message called, That's My King. That's My King. I want to read to you my favorite lines from that message His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wish that I could describe him to you. But he is indescribable. He is indescribable. The more we know about him, the more you've got to say he's indescribable. I cannot express who this God, who this king is, but that's my king. That's my king. I actually want to show you the video. Looks like they're already going to start it. (laughs) This is taken from Dr. Lockridge's message.
1: He's a king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the lord of lords. That's my king. I, I wonder, do you know him? <laughs> my king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternal. He's eternally steadfast, he's immortally graceful, he's imperially powerful, he's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son, he's a sinner's savior, he's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled, he's unprecedented, he is the loftiest idea in literature, He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He forgives sinners, he discharges debtors, he delivers the captive, he defends the feeble, he blesses the young, he serves the unfortunate, he regards the age, he rewards the diligent, and he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge, he's a well-frame of wisdom, he's a doorway of deliverance, he's a pathway of peace the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is machinist. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous and a yoke. And his burden is right I wish I could describe him For yet he's indescribable He's incomprehensible He's invincible He's irresistible Well, you can't get him out of your mind You see, you can't get him Off of your hand. You can't outlive him And you can't live without him Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him But they found out they couldn't stop him Pilate could terror couldn't kill him, not and the could hey! That's, That's my king. That's
0: my king. Is that your king? Is that your king? If that's our king, this world cannot hold us back. There is nothing that the enemy could do to keep us from being everything God has ever purposed us to be. But we got to know him as king. I don't know what they're showing now, so just <laughs> just ignore them. That's my king. That's my king. That's my king. I thank him for being my savior. I thank him for being my deliverer. I thank you that he fills me when I need filling. I thank you that he loves me when I am unlovely. But I don't want just to stop there. I want to turn and then say, that's my king. Whatever you want, whatever you need, whatever you command, it is my pleasure to do it because you're my king. My king, my king, my king. I don't know how to end this. I've been thinking about it for a long time. Lord, what do you want to do with this? I hope something that has been said, or at least the video has stirred your heart, to not say, I can just sit, and I can just coast by. I've got my ticket to heaven, and that's all that I need. No, No, never allow that to be the way that you think or that to be your heart. Because he does kingdom things through us. He does it through us. Does he need us? Nah, he's God. He could do it without us, but he is so chosen to partner with us. Let's be who he's called us to be. And when that question comes, who do you say that I am? There's never going to be a doubt of who we say that he is. He is still everything that the word of God tells us he is. King of kings, Lord of lords. Fairest of 10,000. You know, there's hundreds of things that describe him, yet he's indescribable. He's indescribable. Will you stand with me? Are you ready to live for Jesus out loud? Are you ready to live for Jesus out loud? Only God knows your heart. I'm not here to judge your heart. There are times when we're dealing with with hurt and brokenness things have happened in our life oh, I need the lamb I need the lamb I need the touch of my Messiah I need my deliverer I just need him I just need him thank you Lord that you meet us right where we are it didn't say that he stopped being the lamb he is the lion and the lamb when I need you as lamb and if you need him as lamb today If you need him to heal some some hurts, some disappointments, maybe just even some spiritual weariness, just tell him. Take a step. Be willing. Be willing. Who cares who sees? Do you want him or not? I got my hands raised. Can you raise your hands and say, I need you as I need you as lamb this morning. I need you as lamb this morning. Lord, there're still some places in me that do not glorify and honor you. I need my Messiah. I need my deliverer. Lord, there's some hurts in my heart. There's some disappointments in my heart. I need my Messiah. I need my rescuer. I need you this morning, Jesus. I need you as the lamb. Thank you for loving and healing and setting me free. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Whatever you need, you just receive it from him right now. Receive it from him. I need you. Speak it out. Say, I need healing. I I need financial provision. I, I, I need hope. I need hope, Lord. My hope is low. I need my Messiah. But let's not just stay there as you receive because he will pour over you that love. He will fill you to overflowing. He will fill you to overflowing. Thank you, my 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 Savior but I also want to know you as king I want to know you as king this morning if you want to know him as king once again just raise your hands and tell him I want to know you as king I don't understand all of it but I want to know you as king I want to serve you as king I want obedience obedience to my king to my king to my king Lord, we recognize that we are those that will advance the kingdom of God. Lord, you have trusted us with the good news, the message of Jesus. And we honor our king. We honor our king this morning. We say yes to whatever you're telling us to do. We're saying yes to whatever you ask of us because we want to serve our King. Our King. And if you mean it, just say in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. name. Jesus' name.
1: Amen.